going on everybody this is rafiki and welcome to power bt a podcast that will take you to the west indies and beyond with powerful short stories written by yours truly here we will also dive into the history culture and literature of the region i call home and the parts of the world that help build it into what it is today Hey everybody, welcome back to yet another episode. It feels like it's been a long week since I published the last one, but I know it's only been seven days. Um, But yeah, it just feels like a long time. I hope you guys are all doing well. I'm doing pretty great. Um, We finally got some snow in New York. We've been having snow, it just hasn't stuck, but um, we're like in some like winter storm, I believe. And so now we finally have some snow that's been on the ground. It's pretty much all gone, but it was just nice to see um, heavy snow for the first time since I honestly have left New York and come back. It's just been, you know, really, it's like a reminder, like I made it, you know, I made it back home. So, um, I've really been enjoying the snow, had a great weekend, finally gotten to like some arts and crafts and stuff. I've, one of my things outside of writing, I've always wanted to get into pottery into like, you know, art with clay. If I was a visual artist, I would want to do things with clay. And so I finally got the chance to do that at this place called Happy Medium um, on like the southern tip of Manhattan, like near Chinatown, I believe. Um, I went with a friend of mine and it was just so it was so much fun. But it made me think like after making what I made, it really made me think about how it ties into like human nature to like play with clay, like to craft things out of the earth, out of wood and things like that. You know, so many origin stories of indigenous peoples have to do with the fact that like god or gods made people out of clay or out of earth so like it was kind of just interesting i could see why uh such a thought would come up when you think of like how indigenous people explain how they've come about because it's very natural to like build things with clay you can build anything with clay um and it's such a durable material um and it's biodegradable so like I would love to do that again. I'm definitely planning to. After that, I visited the Hemingway African Gallery in Manhattan, which was nice. You know, I love African art. African masks are like my favorite thing. I collect them if I can, even if they're not maybe quote unquote authentic, anything with that kind of style. I love to just have the person owning the African Gallery. It was this uh, white guy from Zimbabwe, and he's traveled all over the African continent. So on one hand, I was like, okay, cool. You have collected all this artwork for people to see, for people to buy. That's awesome. But at the same time, like when we think of how European countries have taken African artifacts and things like that, I'm like, uh, I had a mixed feeling about both of it. I'm like, okay, maybe you bought these things. You were given these things, but I don't know. I don't know. Like I'm more so on the side that, you should be giving it back or this thing should be black owned. But that's just me. You might disagree. Um, go ahead and disagree if you want to. This episode is going to be out on the day after the last day of Black History Month, unfortunately. But, you know, that's 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 a big point. You know, there's so many African countries that are fighting European countries to get their artifacts back that were stolen. I'm not saying this guy stole them. I'm just saying, you know, the track record of having African artifacts Were those people properly compensated? Were they compensated at all? And do they want these things back? So that's always something that kind of goes through my mind with African artifacts. 
um, and when when people when certain people had them. Um, so yeah, I, I really had a great weekend just getting in touch with like myself and obviously um, like the diaspora, like going to these different places, doing these different things. Um, and part of that has also been me reading A Mercy by Toni Morrison. This is my first book that I've ever read by her. Um, I know the last time I talked about what I was reading, I was reading a book on Guyanese Kumpa, so a religious studies book. And then I was also reading another book. So it's been a while since I read something fiction-based, something um, that might be more known by a lot of people. You know, Toni Morrison, she's quite famous for her work when it comes to, uh, like I think, feminism, I believe, and um, her work as a writer. I know she's won some Nobel Prizes for her writing as well, and she passed away in 2019 in New York City, even though she's not originally from New York. So had a great time. I'm having a great time reading this book. I think I am nearly a quarter done. Um, I don't want to spoil it, but essentially it's a, it's, it follows so many different point of views. And it's just like, wow, like as a black writer, her ability, I can see why she's so well known because the way she writes, it, it, it's constantly changing, but it, it makes sense and it makes you ponder things. So she has written from within this book, she's written from the point of view of, you know, a enslaved girl who is of African descent and also like the white slave owner, his mistress, as well as an Native American woman who was also a slave. Um, and it's just very interesting how she pulls all of these people's lives together and discusses colonial or American colonial life um, through all of their perspectives. And, you know, when we think of like when you're a minority, when you're a person of color, it's not as hard or even hard at all to imagine how things are viewed from a white perspective. You know, that's the that's the major perspective that all of us have to learn how to navigate. Um but I think the way that she's just able to not only embody that to make it a, a realistic character, but also embody the enslaved little girl um, and even the Native American woman um, who's in the story. I think that's very powerful. Um, and I just love the book. I love the book. Love the book. I'm going to read as many of her books as I can. It's just been nice as a writer to be able to sit and read. And as I said before, I think like to be a good writer, you have to be an avid reader. And you have to really study these things. So it's been a nice book. Um, I cannot put it down. And I'm hoping to finish it soon without rushing it. So these are just kind of some of the things I've done this past weekend, this past week. Um, of course, I saw Rihanna's Super Bowl performance. I know that was a while ago. Um, but she did a great job. I love Rihanna. You know, I'm going to rep everything she does since she's from Barbados. And just she's just a, a powerful person um, in general. But I would say the one thing I did see this past week, which I feel like ties to Power BT because Power BT is a Caribbean podcast. It's also about writing and literature is the fact that if you don't know about ChatGPT, it's essentially this new AI system that was developed by Microsoft. And the reason I'm mentioning it here is because people have been using it to do a whole bunch of things like it passed the bar exam here in the United States. So that's for like if you want to be a lawyer, if you don't already know that um, it's it's able to do so many different things because it has so much access to so much information um, and people are able to use it for free, which obviously allows the developers to get a lot of feedback really quickly because you have millions of people using it. I think there were like 
either 5 million or 1 million users in five days of chat GPT's like public, um, public access. But last week I had seen that people were using chat GPT to write books. So for those of us who talk about like AI, which I'm not a big AI like conversationalist, but for those of us who talk about AI and its effects on the creative world, whether it comes to visual art and literature now, um, you know, there's been a lot of debates on if someone can use that and if that they can claim credit to that because, you know, these AIs are not technically creating anything. They're just taking access from people's art that's already on the Internet and mixing it and making it to something, quote unquote, original. And so I'd seen this article about people using ChatGPT to do to write entire novels, to write entire books. And of course, you know, people are hopping on this thing and creating more books than the laws can keep up with. Um, so I know the majority of this conversation has been about visual art, but it just it's frustrating because I think not even just as a writer, even though that's a big part of why it frustrates me, you know, as much as I'm for technology, as much as I'm for technological advancement, you know, if we have tech do everything, what is what is sacred? You know, we've already lost so many communal things because we have made it capitalistic and individual individualistic. And chat GPT is a part of that, you know, so I for those of you who are writers and I've talked to my other writer friends about this. For those of you who are writers and, you know, feeling discouraged about chat GPT, you know, I say just, you know, hold on. And I think that things will be okay. I think that people using it, I mean, this is the first iteration. It's going to be powerful. I cannot deny the fact that it is a useful tool for many people and for many industries. But I do also think that just because people are using it for their work, doesn't mean you have to join the bandwagon. I personally do not plan to use AI to write my stories. You know, I know AI is in everything. AI is like essentially spell check, you know, it's your GPS system. It's so many different things, but to use an AI system to completely write a novel and pedal it off and settle it as your own, you know, it's the same as having a ghostwriter. I think the, the worst thing about it is that it's not even a person, you know, it's, it's completely man-made. And not even man-made, it's completely machine-made. And so when I think about, like, my writing, like, as a cultural storyteller who focuses on, you know, the Caribbean as a sense of a place of inspiration and, like, the African diaspora in the broader world, it, for me, is, like, it's not genuine to use ChatGPT for my writing. So I kind of wanted to touch on that a little bit because I, when I first saw that, I was troubled. And I was like, damn, like... You know, when you're writing about something so niche and you're a minority, you know, the odds are kind of stacked against you when it comes to visibility. So to see how people might be using this to their advantage, especially when they already have advantages on their side, I was initially discouraged. But I just wanted to talk about that to encourage those of us who are determined to write despite, you know, people using AI. And maybe maybe this is judgmental, but, you know doing things in a in a how would I say maybe different way than how I want to do them try not to cast judgment on people who do want to use it but clearly I don't agree with the use of it um so that's kind of the things that have like been on my mind lately the things I've done lately um I really am excited to get into this episode's song 
um, and break it down and then share the story that I had written um, inspired by the song. This one was tricky. Like out of all the songs I've done, this one gave me the hardest time. I wasn't inspired doing it, but you know, when you write, you know, it consistently, consistency is what takes you further than anything. And that's with anything that you might be doing. Um, and yeah, just, I'm going to talk about that more here in a second. But once again, if you guys are enjoying Power BT, be sure to subscribe to it. Tune in on Spotify, Apple, you know, Anchor or Google Podcasts. Um, I recently created a website for those of you to stay updated on. Um, so you can subscribe to the, the subscription list on that to get updates on new posts in your email. And I'll include that in the show notes as well. And be sure to check out the written versions of these stories on Medium on PowerBT at Medium. So there it is a, is a publication. So once again, thank you guys for being here. And let's get into today's song. So the song for today's episode is called Mbadio Demdeo. Um, and this song is unique because not only is it a Nancy song, just like the last one we did in the episode prior, but it is also a wake song. So people sung this song um, at wakes in Karaku. The lyrics are somewhat hard to decipher. They're, they're simple, but they're not in a language that is spoken anymore. I haven't found any translation on what the lyrics are. And also not only is that what makes the song unique, but the breathing pattern of the singers and performers is unlike any of the other songs that are performed um, in any of these recordings for Big Drum or for any of the Nancy songs that I have heard so far. So I'm gonna play a snippet of this song. Um, it's not a very strong recording, but I think that what matters here aren't necessarily the words, but the energy of the performers. And we're gonna break this down a little further. Demdeo. The song isn't that long. Um, the recording isn't that long. I have dug as deep as I could to find any translation um, of any of the words in the song, and I could not find anything. So obviously, the Caribbean, based on the transatlantic slave trade, you have so many people speaking so many different languages, and that's how these Creoles and Patois come about. Um, so I looked up some of these words in Igbo, in Hausa, in Yoruba, um, in Haitian Creole because the Grenadian French Creole is similar to that um, Creole language. And nothing came up. Um, nothing came up for any of these words. But one line after listening to the song over and over that I heard was which is by they're essentially by the fire. Like the people are by the fire. That is what I heard. 
Um, I could potentially be wrong, but I think if you listen closely, you can hear them say by the fire them dead. Um, and that's the only part of the song that is understandable. Um, and these are the only two lines in the song like that are consistent. So obviously you hear the singers like they are singing and improvising. And that's the cool thing about folk songs and traditional songs is that they have a fluidity and flexibility. And we see this even today with performers like celebrities performing their music um, at concerts. You know, the, the way they perform is not the same. And that's what makes live performances so valuable because you get an experience that no one else is going to get. But what I found was interesting in Alan Lomax's recording of this song is he labeled it as a call and response between the lead singer and the chorus, which many traditional songs in the African diaspora follow this response. Um, but he also said this performance includes holotropic breathwork, which is known as rhythmic inhaling that is sometimes used to induce a trance. Um, and so that stuck out to me because in all the songs I've heard recorded and otherwise, no, there has never been any breathing that is like that. And, you know, if you maybe you watch a movie or something like that, and you have an indigenous group of people like a shaman or something or like there's like rhythmic chanting going on. I've seen this with like different depictions of Native American people and they may or may not be accurate. But this idea or practice of breathing rhythmically in a certain way, usually in a very energetic way to induce some type of spiritual change or consciousness change. Um, it's something that has been spoken about before. So I even went online to look up holotropic breathwork. And apparently it's something that's, you know, been commodified and practiced to this day. And is part of um, holistic forms of therapy. You know, I found this piece on by Healthline, um, I think a pretty reputable health magazine that talks about holotropic breathwork. And they describe it as a therapeutic breathing practice that is intended to help with emotional healing and personal growth. And they say that it is said to produce an altered state of consciousness. Um, and the process involves breathing at a fast rate from minutes to hours. So very interesting how this recording, which is done in the 1900s, 1950s, 1960s, um, Obviously, this this technique predates that time of the recording, but to see that people are doing it and have commodified it into modern mental health practices, modern quote unquote spiritual practices is very, very interesting. Um, but obviously, the difficulty with which it took to decipher any of the lyrics and understand what the song is about, um, that is what made writing my story so, so hard and so, so difficult. It was, it was hard to be inspired. Um, and my story is pretty short. So my story is pretty short. Um, I decided to name it Jack Spanner and Fire. Um, Jack Spanner is, it's a unique Caribbean term, like in the Grenadines, um, in Grenada and St. Vincent for wasps. So wasps are called jackspanas um, and then fire. I took that that line about by the fire and put it in the title. Um, so I really hope you enjoy today's story. Once again, I would like to add that um, these stories are works of my own fiction and they are not the origins of these songs. These songs 
predate my work and I draw inspiration from these traditional songs, this traditional religion to inspire my own creative writing. Um, so I wanted to share that. Once again, sit back, relax, enjoy today's episode, enjoy today's story, and please be sure to share, um, subscribe to the show, um, and re-listen to as many episodes as you would like. Thank you. Sting groaned as he stretched his body, raising his hands towards the scorching sun. He stood in his garden, surrounded by freshly tilled soil, the smell of which threatened to overpower him. He looked down at his patch of land, a mere square six feet across. The earth here was so rich, if a bit dry. He couldn't imagine how the farmers of Europe and America did it. Their way with the land was impressive, but ultimately fake. He coveted their big tractors, but also dismissed them. If I had that kind of money, I wouldn't waste my time farming anyway, he told himself. A breeze blew from behind, cold relief rushing down from the mountaintop. Justin wiped his brow and trudged back towards the house. In truth, it was his family's house, but he had been the one to leave America and restore it. His mother had told him that the family they never spoke to would snatch it up the moment he invested into it, but they never came. A land grab for a few acres on a tiny island was not worth it. And those who were invested in stealing it were too old to remember their feud and too sick to fight. Justin climbed the front steps, the muscles in his back flaring as he braced a hand on the rail. His eyes rested on a budding wasp nest, Jack Spanus, as people in Karaku called them. It was growing fast. He didn't know how he would take it down, but he didn't know who would help him either. He was a grown man too big to speak about how much fear insects instilled in him, and too American to seem intelligent in a place without roaming data. I'll wait till it's night and burn them alive, Justin thought. Confident in his plan, he wandered inside, quickly showering and turning his air conditioning unit on full blast before falling to sleep. In America, Justin had secretly felt overwhelmed. The volume of choices and outside opinions were like ocean waves seemingly weak but incredibly powerful when he did not have the strength to stick to his guns he was battered into idleness his mother had always said that her had her father been alive she would have sent him to karaku and his brother had always encouraged him to leave the american south for their place of birth new york but justin had refused those aren't facts justin had said they're suggestions and if you're simply suggesting something, then you shouldn't be mad if I choose not to follow them. When Justin finally packed his bags to leave, everyone was shocked. It was a daring move to return to a place where only distant relatives remained, but his family encouraged him. I'll come to see you, said his sister. We can stay at the family house. My house, he corrected. His sister never came. When Justin awoke, the sun had nearly finished nestling itself into the mattress of the horizon. He doused himself in mosquito spray and threw on a long set of cargo pet pants, as well as a red t-shirt. He grabbed a white bucket from his kitchen and walked out to the back of his house, tossing in various branches and leaves. His heart thumped in his chest as he approached the wasp nest. It was firmly attached to the underside of the second floor's veranda. The wasps, bright and yellow, buzzed about 
as they returned with grubs from the surrounding area. The combs of the nest were still visible, and the wasps clung to it, their antennae waving an alien communication. Carefully positioning the bucket under the nest, Justin sprinkled a little lighter fluid inside. Sweating, he clumsily pulled a box of matches out of his pocket and struck one to life. He then threw the blazing match into the bucket before running through the front door and slamming it behind him. Justin watched as the wasp began to flutter away from the black smoke. For a moment, he worried that the fire would melt the bucket, but it was too late to stop what was already set in motion. Justin stepped back from the window as a foul smell crawled through the walls. The wasp seemed to vanish as well, but it was hard to tell through the window screen and the smoke. The fire can't be too bad, he thought. I barely put anything in there. It was then that he noticed two men walking towards the house. Running to the kitchen, Justin burst through the side door. He yelled and waved to catch their attention. Hey, hey, it's okay, Justin said. I started the fire on purpose. I needed the smoke to kill some wasps. They have a nest. The two men were older and more frail than Justin, but their faces were as hard as their scrutiny. They shared the same look as his father, one of disapproval and irritation at someone doing things differently than they would have. Kill the wasps? Asked the first man. You're burning a plastic. You could kill yourself doing that. You're putting chemicals in the air. And if that plastic melts, the whole house will burn down, the other man added. Justin glanced back at the house's front step. The smoke had weakened, but the foul smell had spread all the way to where they stood. He blinked something away from his eye and wiped his nose. It's fine. They're gone now. I'll put it out. The two men followed him as he walked towards the house. We'll help you, just in case something goes wrong. The odor of burning plastic was unbearable by the time they reached the bucket. Justin's head was starting to pound, but he pushed through it, searching carefully for wasps in the dim light as he looked into the bucket. Red embers smoldered at the bottom, and the inside of it looked wet and soft. The metal handle was warm to the touch, but cool enough for him to hold comfortably. The old men merely watched as Justin carefully put the bucket into an old trash bag. A sharp pain lanced up his side as something jabbed him, followed by another and another. Justin screamed as he ran from the house, plagued by the wasp he thought he had destroyed. The two men shook their heads, laughing as, he, as they watched. Americans, one said. They think they know everything. Mm-hmm. What he should have did was put up a fake nest, but no. He insists on fatiguing them with smoke. Now we hope he's not allergic, or we go be singing them barrio dem deo at the funeral. The two men laughed as Justin came back into view, ragged, shirtless, and swollen. Well guys, that is all for today's episode and today's story. I know this one was really short, it was really brief, um, and like I said, like I think that just because of the difficulty of deciphering the lyrics um and obviously that gap in understanding it made it harder for me to be inspired by this song and therefore write a story but i tried my best um i did what i felt like was suitable for the story i'm really excited to get into 
next week's episode because we're going to be starting um, the next collection of stories, what I am calling the Temnate Collection. This one is fairly brief, I won't lie, um, but we have quite a few collections ahead of us. These collections are not only based off of the nations of Karaku, but also the different song types of Karaku. And so um, in next week's episode, we're going to be talking about the Temne people, um, how they have existed in not only the African continent, but in Karaku, and how um, relationships exist to this day between Karaku and specifically Sierra Leone and the Temne people of Sierra Leone. So once again, thank you for listening to today's episode. Thank you for being a part of this community that I'm building here on Power BT. Please be sure to check us out um, on Medium. Follow the Instagram page um, for Power BT. Share, subscribe, leave a review. And once again, thank you.